You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Welcome back to another very special episode of Once Upon a Turnbuckle. And I get to welcome today not only one of the biggest names um, in the Reach Wrestling locker room, but I think if you were to look at the British wrestling scene over the last 10 to 15 years, this guy's name does crop up a lot. Um, I'm thrilled to welcome the one and only English Lion, Eddie Ryan. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, Chris. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Thank you. Um, good. I'm, I'm so glad to have you on when I... I, I started compiling a list of I started turning this into a certain direction earlier this year and mm. wanted to bring a lot of lot more of the, the British guys on. You mm. were on my list back then. So I'm glad we've finally been able to make this happen. Oh yeah, perfect. We did try once before, didn't we? But <laughs> the world was upside down. Life, life, <laughs> life gets in the way, doesn't it? That's the thing. It does, but yeah. There we go. 100 percent But um one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on is because um out of out of all the the British indie guys, I suppose, you've got quite the storied career um whether you say so yourself i think it's very impressive some of the stuff that you've done so i do want to sort of mm -hmm. talk around that um and also then your involvement with reach wrestling which is you know another reason why uh, why i wanted to bring you on here to sort of talk yeah, sure. about that but if we in true tradition for this podcast if we go right back to the beginning first because um, mm -hmm. i'm i'm very very interested in particularly guys in the industry how where why you discovered wrestling as a fan before you even thought about getting into the ring can you remember when that was when you first discovered what it was for yourself uh yes i can actually uh it was i remember getting uh the wrestlemania 4 cassette tape which is a double tape yeah and that was a christmas present for me and i just remember the christmas day we'd sat down and we we're watching it and i was just captivated by everything macho man just you know the big elbow drops and everything all the color yeah. and all the spectacle and the flamboyance and stuff just yeah no it, uh that was I, that's the very first thing i remember which is why wrestlemania 4 always has like a special place for me a lot of people say it's a bit rubbish but for some reason it's just know. always been special i i think even the look of <laughs> the look of the videotape was different it's mm -hmm. the only double tape i think they had back then it was a monstrosity if you had it on your, yeah on your shelf but no no it's a brilliant time um a brilliant era I'm, I'm very much a fan of the the late 80s 90s my first event that i ever saw was survivor series 88 so the oh, well, same okay. year um very mm -hmm. fond of that even though yeah some people again might not think it's the most exciting so <laughs> I, I i appreciate your love for that and you know oh, what, okay. what a um it's, it's an iconic moment really you know randy savage becoming the champion i think and the mm -hmm. mega powers and you yeah know, i yeah. think i think what makes it stranger is that I kind of had missed the Hogan part of that, if that makes sense. So, like, mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't a passing of the torch or anything. So mm -hmm. Savage was the first person that I had seen. Like, I'd seen Hogan earlier on the card against Andre, but it was a bit of a, a mare match. Yeah. But, you know, the, the incredible story they told was Savage. Um, and we didn't have uh, access to Sky or anything like that, so I didn't really see any of the build until the next WrestleMania. So when you see WrestleMania five and now the Friends... Yeah. Uh, and now fighting each other I thought that was kind of a, a captivating story especially if you go back and watch it but mm. but yeah so for me I didn't even have the the backdrop of Hogan to then go to Savage so mm. I didn't really see what the fuss about Hogan was until you go back and watch the first first three WrestleManias yeah. oh, okay even then <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm I was a little bit on the fence with Hogan I suppose yeah he mm -hmm. was the one that kind of got ran down your throat back then when I first mm -hmm. got into it um, I much prefer the Ultimate Warrior I thought he was a bit cooler yeah um but yeah I, I you know i appreciated he was the big guy then but it was nice to see mm -hmm. 
guys like Savage and then later Bret Hart come through. Yeah, for sure. Amazing kind of over there. What what's um what age were you back then? What's what year were we talking about then? Was was that the era? Um or uh, or, or was it sort of you went you started a bit like I did, I suppose you started with the older stuff. Uh, I I started with the older stuff, so uh, not to give away my age, but I was born in '85, so um, I was born into that era. Mm. Um, so I sort of grew up with the, the the golden era into the newer generation, and then I was the right age for the attitude era because I was a teenager then. Yeah. So uh, I sort of grew up in the right way, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. I wasn't an adult in the golden era, so I started as a kid, grew up into all the generations that needed to be. So yeah. so yeah, so I sort of started off at that 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 golden era and and to be fair i go back and that's the bit that i enjoy watching more than absolutely anything, to be sort of the 80s and early 90s i like to watch that that's that's my entertainment if i'm absolutely honest. well that, there's only a year between the two of us so exactly no, the go. same so i do appreciate <laughs> exactly the same era um who was your um who was your sort of hero then growing up across that uh, from that era it would be bret hart yeah uh, i okay. think a lot I think a lot of people from our era would definitely sort of sort of say that, you know, like my my now, if I had to pick, it's sort of like one A and one B with Shawn Michaels, but it's mm. only sort of really Shawn's later work. At that time, okay. I don't think there was many kids who who probably weren't a Bret Hart fan if you watched yeah. the WWF at that time. You know, his 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 storytelling in matches, I just I still find myself caught up in them. And so back then, you know, I, no. <laughs> it was the be all and end all. So yeah, so no. yeah, it was Bret Hart for me. 92 was a good year really I, mm -hmm. I found when when you knew he got to that point um heartbreak in 93 when he lost it and I, I've done mm -hmm. a show before on 94 it's probably one of my favorite years um mm -hmm. Brett, Brett and Owen I don't think you can get much better than no that yeah so I've I'm the oldest of five and I have a younger brother so I could completely I'm not the younger brother I'm the Brett of the story if that okay. makes sense yeah 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 <laughs> So I 100% I got it. And so when you go back and listen to like some of these podcasts, like with Bruce Pritchard and, and things like that now, where they say, uh, you know, like Vince didn't understand why two brothers would fight each other. Mm. I find that completely baffling because me and my brother just fought all the time about everything. Yeah. So it, it about, made 100%. <laughs> it's about as real as you can get, you know, and yeah. in, the, in the world of professional wrestling, where at that point, when that was going off, I... I was starting to question it. People had started to say to me, mm -hmm. then, you know, it's not real, right? You know, yeah, and yeah. even though I was like, yeah, of course, yeah, you know, of course I know that. I, in my head, I was really confused. <laughs> but you have a thread like that. Um, mm -hmm. It really does sort of hold it together and yeah, keep absolutely. it real, doesn't it? So, mm -hmm. so, so that, okay. So um, when was it then going from there, growing up in this golden era that it was, um, mm -hmm. when was it that you first then started to decide or have serious thoughts that you wanted to start doing it as a okay. kid i think we all do really mm -hmm. we want as wrestling fans we want to get in there and do it but when did you decide you know i am going to pursue this i'm going to find okay out. so for me i never really knew how you could become a wrestler if that makes sense so mm. um it was never anything that really came to my mind until i got to my older age so um at that time of the attitude era about 80 uh, sorry 98 99 2000s that's when i'm sort of aging up into like 14 15 16 but at that time um sort of leading up into that where like the, you know wwf dipped at that time 95 96 is kind of that sort of weird time where it was a bit rubbish um I didn't have access to Sky or anything like that. And I had very much fallen more into pursuing football. Okay. So I'd started secondary school and I'd become a lot more active, started playing football. And I was, I've seen some, some, some success with football. So I was playing that at weekends. And I hadn't fallen out of love with wrestling. It had just been a case of I didn't have access to it. And mm. it just didn't interest me all that much at the time. Right. And so... I started playing football more, started playing for teams and, you know, like getting trials for clubs and things. And then that was at that time where the Attitude Era started coming along. So now all of my friends who originally thought wrestling was a bit rubbish, now they like it too. So now you suddenly have access, you can go to your friend's house and now you can watch it because they have Sky. And so I started to see it a lot, uh, a lot more. So I played football, watched wrestling sort of on the side and then sort of got to that sort of age 16 to sort of 18 where I needed to sort of make my next decisions in life and I decided I was going to go to uni 
And it wasn't until I got into my third year of uni where I was just thinking about it, thinking, is this really what I want to do with the rest of my life? You know, it, it was that. And I, I was quite, if you'd seen pictures of me when I was, when I was younger, I was just sort of tall and gangly, very slight in size. Right. So uh, wrestling was never really an option for me. It was just like, I wouldn't be very good at it. But I just had got to that point uh, of uni where I was just like, you know, if I'm going to do something, it needs to kind of be now, if that makes sense. I'm not going to get any younger. You know, I didn't, you see, you meet people who sort of start wrestling when they're 30s and you, it's just such a short shelf life that I just sort of thought, right, okay, what am I going to do? And it was only by perchance that my mum said, well, you always wanted to be a wrestler when you were a kid. And I thought, well, yeah. Wow. Can't, can't argue with that encouragement from the parents, can you? <laughs> no. really? So I went and found a, a local wrestling school just to see what it was like. And I was very fortunate that on my second training session that Joel Redman was there. And he oh, okay. sort of gave me side directions to where to get properly trained because the, the school that was here, because there wasn't all that much in the Southwest when I first started. I started, like I went to that school, it would have been in 2007. And right. the scene, there wasn't a scene in the Southwest, so to speak the training schools yeah. were very sort of just backyard but indoors so yeah uh so luckily joel sort of pointed me in the right direction and went from there cool. was he training um like training at the time or was he was a little bit more further along at that point uh, i always i always say this to him because i find it very weird but joel is younger than me by about <laughs> a year or two but he's about five years further ahead because he started much younger than I did. Yeah, uh, I didn't start. I didn't start wrestling training until I was twenty-one, and even then, I didn't class that as wrestling training because uh, where I was training was so poor. So mm. I classed myself as being trained from the age of well, I first moved to Swindon in October two thousand eight, so I was just about to turn twenty-three, right. uh, and I had to like unlearn some of the stuff that I had learned to then learn it properly so yeah so but yeah no joel was joel's about four or five years ahead of me um but he he went a different way he ended up finding uh, a school who then pointed him in a direction of just going straight on to like the summer camps so okay. he yeah. he didn't do like a great deal of training he sort of like learned on the job straight away if that makes sense which yeah. is different yeah. to how a lot of people learn these days they yeah. find a school they pick up odd bookings here and there and then sort of get a bit busier but but yeah he's uh he had he was about five years ahead of me at that time and he was building quite the reputation for himself and yeah. he was already pretty good then so luckily he you know he was very kind to me pointed That's me cool. in the direction of better schools and you know yeah. off nice i went history. yeah so thinking about your your transition then from from just training to then your first match in the ring do you remember much about your your debut as it were um I remember it very vaguely. It was a bit of a blur because you're kind of, you know, a bit panicky and nervous mm. and all those kind of things. But I, I remember the venue and uh, I was just in with another trainee guy and it it was what it wasn't, you know, like I'm sure if I watched it back now, I'd be like, you know, <laughs> a, bit, a bit of a teeth dryer. But um, in my memory, I don't remember it being particularly good or bad. It was just, you know, what it was. And um, it. just it was just like that first sort of, sort of toe in the water to to jump in and and, yeah. and do more really so yeah and, and it but, made yeah. you want to go back obviously because you're still oh, doing it so yeah 100 percent. but yeah it, it was um organized by like the training school so i moved to swindon to train with 4fw in swindon uh which had a full-time facility at the time they mm. since closed i think they closed in like 2016 or 17 right. and um so i was there and they were running their own shows so it was just one of their sort of little local shows so i was just sort of thrown on and see how you do sink or swim and cool. that was it i'd only been training for about three months at that point wow it always intrigues me yeah how long because mm. um, i suppose when you grow up you think you're uh, you've got years ahead of training whether mm -hmm. it is just recently last 10 or 15 years it's changed as the industry really has exploded but mm -hmm. yeah you know i hear people doing it for like a couple of months and then getting time in the ring other people sit it out and they they're at it a lot longer before they get to that mm. point is it just a confidence thing do you think um or you've got so. to have a certain amount of ability to you know to obviously uh, carry yourself yeah i mean it, it helps if, if you're in there with someone who has you know experience to guide you through too the, the, the difficulty is is when you have two people who are trainees or limited experiences mm. you know they 
you don't have that experience of if something goes wrong or you know how to listen to the crowd or things like that so so when you're two trainees you're just kind of the blind leading the blind so to speak yeah. but when it comes to like you know like like you say there are some people who i know who've been training for you know months or years that still aren't quite ready and for some people it clicks mm. quicker than others you know it's, it's just a case of every individual is different so yeah. I was just I was lucky that you know I, I picked it up quite quickly I was keen to learn I was at the training school five days a week mm. you know just I wanted I knew I had to play catch up because a lot of these especially now a lot of these kids are like 16 18 when they start and I was already yeah. 23 basically so sure. I was years behind so I needed to sort of get my ass in gear and and crack on and 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 get your ass in gear you did i think looking mm -hmm. at what you've done so i mean when your name first came across my radar i will admit which i've admitted a, a lot on this show is mm -hmm. there is a void with me and wrestling we went through about 10 <laughs> 15 years where we didn't talk okay. um and i i kind of started getting back into it around about 2015 more on the more local level when i realized down here in devon there were mm -hmm. shows happening with notable sure. names on the on the mm -hmm. posters it kind of made me want to go and to go and have a look so i mm -hmm. um i went to a show that uh, pro wrestling pride put on in painton yep. and i swore blind you were on that show until i've actually gone back recently to to look at the results and i found actually you weren't so i no. think it was just through me following pride at that point that i kind of mm -hmm. i saw your name pop up um mm -hmm. i was at the i think it was the heroes and legends the first one at Painter when Hacksaw Jim Duggan was there. Okay. Um, and then it wasn't too long after that, I don't think, that you actually won the Pro Wrestling Pride heavyweight title. Oh, yeah, in Taunton, yeah. One? Yeah. Yes, at Taunton, yeah. So we're going to fly around over a couple of years here. I'm not going to concentrate too much. I'm going to just going to let this kind of open up. Um, okay. But over those couple of years, around about sort of 2016, 17, looking at some of the guys that you, man you, you got to work with. So mm -hmm. one of your title defences for the the pro wrestling pride heavyweight title was against hardcore holly yeah you know firstly obviously obvious questions he's obviously fanboy question what was that like you know at that stage in your career having a title defense against a legend like that mm -hmm. um weirdly bob holly was one of my favorite wrestlers in that sort of attitude era mm. um I'm, I've never been a big fan of people who rely on a, a lot of talking to get over. I'm, I'm very much more substance. You know, I like to watch people wrestle and have good matches. You know, the talking part was always something where, you know, if you turn on Monday Night Raw and it always starts with that, that talking segment, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea because I'm really... I'm not a huge, huge fan of the stories. The stories help 100%. And, yeah. you know, as long as the talking is interesting, then it's fine. But I just kind of want to watch matches. I'm very much like that. So, you know, I always liked Hardcore Holly's matches were always believable. Mm. They were intense, you know, and you believed that everything he did was real. And he had a great drop kick and everything about him mm. was just really good. He looked great and everything. He was just one of those guys where you kind of think that if he was born in any other era, Maybe, uh, although he did cross many eras, to be fair to yeah. him, he did come through, you know, you know, like how much more success would he have had? And, you know, obviously he wasn't a particularly good promo or anything like that. No. But in terms of everything else, he was almost a complete package. Yeah. But I always thought that, you know, like he was, he was very, very good. So when I got the opportunity to work with him, you know, like immediately the first thought is, is you, know, you remember back to like things like Tough Enough and stuff where, yeah. he, you know, he's half beating up trainees and, <laughs> and things like that. And, you know, his reputation precedes him. And then I met him and he was probably one of the loveliest guys I've ever met in wrestling, right. really. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like I get to meet him and he was, he was complimentary and nice and, you know, we talked. And then about... I know it was, I think it might have been at the interval. So I think we were either, it was either before, it was definitely before our match, but I can't remember where our match was. It was either our match was due to be before the interval or after the interval. And he was insistent that he wanted to sell his own merchandise so okay. that he could, you know, he trusted himself. He didn't trust other people. And the promoter was like, no, 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 it's fine. We'll sort it for you. And somehow, somewhere, someone lost his money that he had made. And I've never seen anyone go from a placid, lovely, happy man to the angriest person I've ever seen. Oh. He just launched a wall bottle at the wall, which exploded everywhere. He had people up against the wall and everything. Like that. He was just losing his mind. And then once that got resolved, 
he went back to being as lovely as can be. And like, I'm just sat there thinking, I'm going to get it now because <laughs> he's angry, he's oh, wound no. up, and now I've got to go out there with him yeah. and I'm going to get beat up. But no, not, not a chance. He was, he was lovely. He was nice and snug. Um, he, he didn't beat me up. Nothing particularly hurt. He was just a true pro. Mm. Took me through the match um, and couldn't have been any nicer. And afterwards, yeah. you know, with some kind words and very occasionally we still keep in contact. I don't have Twitter, which is the main thing that he uses to right. communicate. So we exchange emails here and there. But cool. but um, but yeah, he was he couldn't have been any lovelier. It's it's a great match as well. I uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen it. I think it's still up on YouTube. And you yeah. know, he's a real sportsman at the end, isn't he? I mean, mm-hmm. A lot of these guys who come out of that era you know and they, they've got this reputation i think it's great to see them the fact mm-hmm. that you can see them locally but see them as them as well you know after yeah. the match and whatever and i mm-hmm. i i really do i loved his when he first went into wwf as um sparky plug i quite liked <laughs> yeah. that you know a real underdog sort of thing and i think mm-hmm. he's so underrated until the hardcore division came along and then all of a sudden yeah. he found his his yeah, niche, his niche. I think, yeah yeah, yeah. It's, um, I'll throw some more names at you again. Just any any memories in particular of working with names like this. This isn't just to name drop here. We always to talk about sure. you, but I'm very interested in sort of the working with these guys. How it kind of shaped your career at this point. Uh, okay. You've got you've got wins against people like Tommy Dreamer, Paul mm-hmm. London. Um, I think you also jumping ahead. I want to talk about five star wrestling in a bit more detail anyway, but. Um, Okay. I think P- PJ Black, if I'm not too mm-hmm. mistaken, was on there. So you, you within these couple of years, you really did get to hone your craft, as it were, with with guys who had who had been there. Mm-hmm. Um, who would you say, as well as any sort of general memories you've got of working with these guys, who would you say you learnt most from being around or in the ring with? Mm. Um, it would, you know, like if if we're talking about. You know those those people who have a, a, a pedigree, we say WWE or, or things like that. Um, the two main ones that spring to mind are: I had a match with Chris Masters uh, for Southeast Pro Wrestling, mm-hmm. and that one I learned a lot because we really didn't plan a great deal at all. Mm-hmm. So the thing I liked about Chris is he he was a lovely guy. He's obviously got a quite imposing figure. <laughs> even yeah. though he isn't quite the Matt Chris Masters that we would remember debuting mm. for WWE he is still got an impressive physique and mm. it's quite intimidating when you meet him because it you know he's a gigantic person yeah. but he's lovely but the thing I learned most from him was you know like we look up to these people as being people who we see on WWE and uh, you know they have achieved all these things um, but what he really sort of related to me was that we are really the same people trying to achieve the same goal he's just further along the line and so you know like we we planned a finish to a match and he trusted me to call parts of it and obviously I trusted him to call parts of it and tell a story and Mm. that one I learned a lot because that one was where I treated myself as an equal to someone rather than I allowed him just to sort of call the match and carry me the rookie along if that makes sense yeah 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 um, and the other one would be uh, Drew McIntyre at the Guildhall when he was TNA champion. And that was obviously a big moment because he had some mega momentum behind him at that point. Yeah. It was in my hometown at the Guildhall, which is yeah. obviously quite a prestigious venue. And again, I could have very easily been, uh, you know, the guy who's just like, I'm here to learn from you. So you tell me what the match is and I'll just be, you know, generic yeah. wrestler B. Um, but instead, you know, he he had done his scouting too you know he didn't want to be in there with people that might potentially injure him because obviously being TNA champion uh, it would have put a halt to things and so he'd done his research there was a few few of the Scottish lads who uh, I knew from Zero One Wrestling out in Japan and so they had given him a good uh, recommendation of me so he came in and again we put a a little bit of a match together but called lots and he gave you know he gave me a lot of credibility to the point where he gave me a false finish where he put his foot on the rope real last minute. So everyone thought I had won ah, right. and then we just quit switched it around. So, Brilliant. but like he taught me a lot about things like creating drama and matches and things like yeah. the real storytelling aspect of it and like little snippets like that. But, but um, 
but yeah, those are the main main two of you know if we're talking about guys who yeah. you know are currently in WWE or have been in WWE, yeah. um, they really really helped me a lot in those matches. Is that that match with Drew? Was that the was that for the TNA title? Did I read mm-hmm. somewhere you you won that opportunity? Um, you you got a, a you won a number one contendership match for that one. <laughs> That's yep. amazing. Didn't realize that was in mm-hmm. Plymouth. Actually, how special was that? Yeah, that's amazing. It, it was. It was incredible, honestly. Until I came to do like the uh, NXT UK stuff with WWE, that was like a proper like goosebumps moment for me. Yeah, and you know, it's still very important, especially when you go and you know you see where what Drew has become, right. <laughs> and uh, exactly. and again, like you know, you, you see the where where he's gone and become, and it, it's still very strange that you know like occasionally like you'll post something on like facebook or something like that and you'll get a like and you'll be like who's that and it's, it, it's him and he's still keeping tabs a little bit That's on what i'm doing it's just you know it's 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 nice you know he could have just been like i'll oh, forget, forget yeah, this uh, I'm, trainee you know, but <laughs> i mean when i was growing up you probably felt it too the british mm-hmm. wrestling in the mainstream wasn't really that well presented or no. represented um, mm-hmm. You had Steve Regal, you had British Bulldog. You didn't really have much else. Um, if you if you were to sort of put your spin on it as to what's changed or when mm-hmm. it changed for British wrestling, this sort of invasion or insurgence now that mm-hmm. that um, that we've got on the main um, the main promotions, where where do you think the tables turned? So the way I see it is when the world of sport era came to a close you know and everything started to wind down from the the hot era of our time so to Mm. speak you know a lot of those guys kind of just went away and took all of their knowledge with them so they didn't the, the way the wrestling business works is you learn from everyone and then you give back so that those people underneath you can then take it to a higher level and then give back so it just you know it's like a cycle and it goes around and we improve it and we improve it yeah. but what happened is a lot of, a lot of those you know british guys once the world of sport era kind of crashed they kind of just thought well i'm getting out of this and and off they went you know and so there wasn't there wasn't uh that passing of the knowledge to the next generation mm. and so what happened is is you had a few people like your jody fleishes and your johnny storms and and in my in my case, you know, like Doug Williams, who's someone yeah. who ma- I massively look up to, um, they're basically trying to learn their craft from just making it work themselves. And yeah. you had these people bridging the gap, which wasn't, as, you know, there was not much there, which is why a lot of these people ended up having to go elsewhere because there's nothing for yeah. them here. Okay. You know, and so that's why Doug ended up in Japan and, you know, Regal ended up in America and Dave yeah. Taylor ended up in America. So... So then it sort of comes to the time because, again, when I started in 2008, the British wrestling scene was still pretty poor. There were a couple of big promotions at the time, you know, like I think your 1PWs were still kind of Mm. in existence and FWAs. But for the most part, you know, like most of the shows in this country were run and they were very small and they might have 20 people in the audience and stuff like it was bad you know like i remember wrestling in front of seven people it's just the 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 appetite for wrestling wasn't here and we kind of followed that cycle of wwe so when wwe's hot Mm. the whole scene's hot yeah and so wwe in 2008 like i don't really remember anything that was sort of happening at that time but Mm. i know that it wasn't particularly popular it sort of dropped off a cliff after about 2004 yeah um and so, you know, like you, you have these guys who are, you know, trying to bridge the gap for us. And then at that time, you know, around about 2008, you know, that's when you start to see better quality training schools starting to pop up mm. and then better, better quality trainees are starting to pop up. And, you know, like then there's a scene as a whole, you're kind of pushing everyone along because, you know, like you see so-and-so is getting popular and yeah. you kind of want those spots. So then you try and get better and then that pushes someone else to get better. And, yeah. and so that's why we've seen this sort of revolution of British wrestling because we're all sort of, you know, it's almost like a, uh what's what's the right word it's a synergy a synergy because you know we're all working harder and it's it's elevating the level much higher than it was before and Mm -hmm. you know everyone's sort of giving back and then you get some of these guys who have been away you know people like doug who was at tna and he comes back here and now he's passing his knowledge back along and Mm -hmm. and that's how we've got to where we are but that's where it really started to pick up is once once we managed to get that knowledge back 
and once we started to sort of you know build the foundations and then you know all these schools are yeah you know, building the talent up and producing better quality trainees because there's better quality training that's that's yeah. where it really started to explode and that's when the other companies started to realize well hang on a minute there's like a whole scene here which is <laughs> hotter than almost. anywhere else and yeah. that's why you suddenly world of sport and nxt uk start to uh start yeah. to build up because you can't take all those British guys to America. So you need to kind of have a place for them yourselves. So. Absolutely. And I think it's great that we've got a platform to showcase mm-hmm. our own rather than relying on, yeah, like you say, going over, over the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And, and back then you had like two choices. You, you wound up mm-hmm. as WWF or WCW. Hopefully mm-hmm. there is the competition out there now a little bit more than there was, but for a lot of guys, I, I, I think it's, it's great to stay here and it? it's just, just as much yeah. opportunity here now. So, um, yeah. hundred percent. So you're helping to jump into the present just for a moment. You're mm-hmm. you're doing your bit now as well as is you know still performing, entertaining us all um, mm-hmm. with your incredible ring skills. But you're passing your knowledge on. Um, mm-hmm. I believe you're one of the trainers in the mm-hmm. Reach Academy. Yeah. Um, so just just talk quickly about how how and when your involvement with Reach first started and and sort of where you see where you see it going you know what what Mm -hmm. is your main goal within it um we'll talk about a big match you've got coming up yourself but sort of you know your role as the superstar in the ring and also the trainer as you know the guys coming through where where can you see it um so my my first involvement uh weirdly uh started with uh, i lived with grayson reeves in swindon for a little while um, because he trained at waw in norwich so I, i met grayson uh, way back along when PWA was the Plymouth company and he was a trainee there and he asked me what he needed to do to you know start to get successful and, and, and things like that and I just said exactly the same thing as what Joel said to me you need to get out of the southwest because there's not a great deal down here you know we're kind of on that sort of appendage of the country where there's a handful of country, uh, companies sorry and uh, you need to go to a full-time school and you need to get better trained and get places where you can get to shows. And so I gave him a couple of contacts, WAW was one of them. And then before I knew it, he was up and moved to Norwich and he was there training. And so fast forward a couple of years, uh, if you've ever tried to drive to Norwich from Plymouth, you'll realize that it's a very, very long way. Yes, I've looked at it on the map. I used to work in logistics. So yeah, I tried to route a few people that way, but yes, I can. Yes, so I think after a while he got a little bit I think we all do, like even I did in Swindon, and Swindon's only like 150 miles. I think he got a little bit homesick. And so just randomly one day, uh, he sent me a message saying, do you still live in Swindon? And I was like, yeah, I'm still based here. And he's like, I'm moving there because my friend lives there. So like, yeah. do you think you could like help me get set up with a few things, like the gym and stuff? And I'm like, yeah, sure, not a problem. And so he was here, uh, sorry, he was there in Swindon. And so that, that was how that started. We just sort of started. Okay. As, as people who were uh, just people who went to shows together, basically. Right. Um, and then around about 2018, maybe it start, uh, that was when PWA, I believe, sort of started to, you know, decline a little bit. Yeah. And uh, Matt said about potentially running shows with Jason King. And I was like, well, you know, it's going to be hard work and, and stuff but mm. if you think you can do a better job than them then then crack on yeah. and so they started just slowly going about putting on their own show and he asked if i would be involved because obviously at the time i was starting to get some traction and some popularity i if it, i think their first show was 2018 so i would have already done the five star stuff at that point yeah. and um so uh, i'd been around the southwest for so long and been especially the like the plymouth crowds and things like that i think it sort of just became a if you run a show in Plymouth, you kind of have to have him on, kind of. Right. Thing. Okay. Uh, and so he obviously said, you know, do you want do you want to be on and stuff? And I said, yeah, sure, that'll be good. And I always like to get home. It's always an opportunity for me to get home because I was always so busy that uh, getting home for a weekend isn't kind of a, a thing you can do. So mm-hmm. um, I don't find myself in Plymouth maybe like once or twice a year in the end. Uh, which when you you know like you you love your hometown like I do, it's it's kind of a bit rough. Um, yeah. But uh, you get used to it and. Uh, and so that's how that's how I ended up starting with Reach. So it was just really it, and they put on their show. And after a period of time, you know, they start building a good following. And, yeah. You know, the stories are all good, and 
and then fast forward, we get to March or April 2020 when uh, COVID suddenly raised its ugly head mm. and everything shuts down. I was working full time uh, at my job. I was working from home, but I was in Swindon. And eventually it sort of dawned on me that if I can work at home in Swindon, I can work from home in Plymouth. It doesn't right. really matter where I am. It's still working from home. Yeah. So I got the all clear from my, my employers and moved back to Plymouth. I think it was about September or October last year. Right. And uh, I remember being down there and I popped along to the training school to take a look at the trainees. I'd done some seminars for them and uh, a few random training sessions for them along along the way uh, yeah. whenever I was back home just to try and help them out and try and pass on a little bit of knowledge and I was back home at that time and I just remember dropping into a training session and everyone having really good fundamentals and you know everyone was being trained the right way you know that that, that Matt and Jason would have, have learned from WAW and other mm. places um, and I just remember just being there and I've always kind of enjoyed teaching I, I take an enjoyment out of you uh, when you teach something to someone and you can see that it sort of clicks in their head when they do it and you yeah. know almost like that pride sort of sort of beams across them yeah and uh i i just thought i wanted to open a training school it's it's especially being based down here now it's not that i'm trying to slow down as a wrestler you know i'm mm. uh i'm not i'm not old by any stretch and the the country is kind of a bit still iffy as to what we're really sort of doing with shows yeah. but i knew that passing on my knowledge was definitely something that I wanted to do um, but opening a school myself one I don't really have the time to do that There's, I've got a lot going on I have a job and and uh, trying to renovate a house and <laughs> everything it's trying to get to then trying to get to the gym and then run a training school like five days a week is not something that I have the, no. the time to do and then try and do shows at the same time um, and then secondly it would be a conflict of interest I think you know, I, I when I sat down with the initial talks with Matt and Jason, I said, I don't really want to open a school because it kind of burns our bridges because, you know, like at the end of the day, I'll be splitting students and things because, yeah. you know, they, want, they have to commit to one school because you can't really sort of split between two with the way that I would want to run it. Sure. Um, and I didn't really want to sort of upset that apple cart, so to speak. So um, I said that I would enjoy training and I would like to be a trainer for them if that was something that they would be interested in, in doing and you know like they they went away and had a talk and we came to an agreement and and yeah so i i take a couple of sessions uh a couple of sessions during the week uh, like one of the things was you know, to take a kid's class i think it's good to okay. sort of get the get the kids interested in wrestling from an early age mm. um because you know if you can get them hooked at an early age they're easier to to mold as performers as they get older because they've obviously been doing it a lot longer whereas yeah. you know if you start at like 16 or 18 you've already got a couple of years gone so um you know take a kid's class which was good and then i take a, an advanced class and cover a couple of sessions but really it's just um you know matt and jason are very good trainers but i'm trying to offer that knowledge that i've picked up from traveling the world and working you know with those people that you said earlier yeah. and being in the sort of the wwe system and things like that just the little bits that maybe they don't know themselves or you know like maybe they do and haven't ingrained so much and yeah. you know just those bits that i've picked up that i can offer these people that yeah. they don't already have access to and just give them the, almost like that cherry on top of the cake so to speak yeah. in terms of uh, their, their learning that's 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 amazing when you, you touch on the experience that you've had as well mm. you know adding that that dimension i uh i, I chatted to um to jordan sparks uh, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago and he was sort of describing his experience within the academy with with you three mm -hmm. and you know i just had this picture in my head that it's just like a conveyor belt you know you're picking up mm -hmm. something different from everyone yeah and you know how many western schools out there have got that level of knowledge and experience coming at them from Sort of multiple angles you know yeah 100 percent. So. and the way that it kind of works is as you say is a bit of a conveyor belt when people come into the school they meet they meet jason he takes them through the fundamentals and sort of just basically teaches them what they need to know you know their bumps their a little bit of footwork and hitting the ropes and all those sort of those building blocks that they need ready so that when we chuck them in the deep end a little bit with mm. with matt um and myself they're, they're they're ready to sort of either sink or swim so to speak yeah. but so far 
you know, everyone that I seem to have come across at the school just, you know, is swimming. It's just the difficulty is, is that there's not all that many shows in the Southwest. So they're all Mm. sort of competing with each other to try and get somewhere. So I, I, I feel for them. Um, I do, but they're all working hard. That's all that they can do. So, you know, hopefully now that we're coming, coming out of COVID now that, um, there'll be more opportunities as you know like cpw has started back up and that gives them mm. an opportunity to get out in front of crowds because that's the real place where you learn you can you can spend your all of your career at a training school and a training school helps with like you mm. know just getting reps in and p- perfecting like little bits yeah. but at the end of the day the job is learned in front of a live yeah. crowd and and Absolutely. uh you know hopefully they can start to, to sort of make headway with that now that we're coming out of the the tunnel so to speak yeah and that, that brings nicely then, I think, to uh, one of the events that you've got coming up, um, one mm-hmm. of the big matches you've got coming up. So you are currently the number one contender to the Reach Heavyweight title, mm-hmm. which you will compete for in Plymouth. Yep. <laughs> it's Plymouth again. So Plymouth yeah, really it's is, Plymouth. <laughs> is it's almost like, obviously, as well as being your hometown, it's your spiritual home, because how many big moments have you had? Mm. Just to rattle off a couple, again, just to go back to five star, I won't be able to go into mm-hmm. it into much depth, but... You yeah. know, when five star, when you went into five star, you went straight into a rivalry with Jack Hager. Jack Hager, Jake Hager, Jack Swagger. Jake Hager, Jack Swagger. So you went in straight into a, a, a feud with him yeah. and it, it blew off with a, a title match in Plymouth. Yeah. Obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And you also you competed at an NXT UK show in Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've also seen um, an interview with you where was it the pavilions that you sat your exams as well for uni? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this yeah. place, that's, that's, you know, that's the only time I've ever been in the pavilions other than for the NXT. That's amazing. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, those two experiences, NXT and then, you know, mm. five star with, with Jake Hager, you know, mm. pre- pressure much on that? Massive. Or is it just, you know, what, 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 um, what, what is it like? Is it adrenaline taking over or, or you, you know? I've always been someone that, works better under pressure mm-hmm. you know I, I don't like to float along I like you know like up the ante a little bit and rise to the occasion so to speak and so sure. but, um, just to quickly explain the uh the five-star show at Plymouth came about because I kind of accidentally pushed for it so oh, okay. um yeah so uh the promoter is he he's from Newcastle so all those shows that you would have seen at the very start of the run were up north because that's what he knew. So yeah. you had Sheffield, uh, Liverpool, Newcastle, and then obviously week five was Belfast. But week four, originally, they had no show booked in that day. They, yeah. they had something provisionally booked in and it never came out. And so, you know, like week one, I'm not really overly sure why he initially pushed me as such a, a big baby face because I did, you know, I'd been working around the country um, you know, just sort of gaining a little bit of steam and, and notoriety and stuff. So, but he booked, like, the reason he booked me, I remember we were speaking on the phone and he said, hey, I had a great look, I, you know, I was in good shape and he loved the lion mask and, and stuff. And we sort of skirted around the issue and it got to a point where I was like, have you ever actually seen me wrestle? Went, no, I just like the look. <laughs> so I could, I could have been absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so he just, he just really likes the visual of, okay. you know, the, the patriotic Brit against the patriotic American. And sure. so that's why that all sort of came about. But yeah, with the five star thing, um, we had nothing booked in and, and I used to liaise with him. You know, I like to learn the business, like the whole scope of the business, yeah. you know, like, so whenever I work for, you know, like a company, I like to, you know, like if, if I've ever worked for Ravenhill, I like to watch how he runs his business and, and exactly how he runs his shows and things like that. I don't I don't just want to be a, a come in and you know do my bit and then go away a bit kind of thing. You know, like yeah. if you have me on your shows, I kind of want to be all in on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so and so he was talking about what he needed to do for week four. Maybe he would have like a recap show because it was just live TV. And I'd never done live TV at this point. So like I'm literally at these shows with Rey Mysterio and Rob Van Damme yeah. backstage, <laughs> literally going to them and asking, can you help me? I have no idea what to do. I've never done live TV. I've never done like, you know, like promos specifically before. And so I'm literally begging these people to help me, you know, and then I'm seeing people, you know, like online, because online can be a horrible toxic place. Yeah. They're like slating my promos and, and things like that. And it's just, well, I have no idea, guys. I'm doing my very best. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do whatever I can. But yeah, and so I was just remember talking to the promoter and 
he was just like, is there any decent venues down the South that maybe we can contact to try and book in week four? And so selfish me was just like, <laughs> you know, like Plymouth always draws a really good crowd if you go yeah. down there. And now yeah. if you ever go back and watch those five shows that they did, the Plymouth one was the best. And right. there was a reason that WWE then did NXT UK in Plymouth. It's because they watched the show and saw how good the crowd were. Okay. Uh, so WWE watches everything. So, so yeah, so I just remember saying, you know, try the pavilions. They were doing all these big, you know, 10, 12,000 seat venues at the time, that which was specified by the TV company. Mm. And so Plymouth Pavilions is about 2,000. And so they did that. They sold that out. And that was by far the best show that they did there. I remember all the all the performers coming back afterwards. Because I always, you know, I'm proud of where I'm from. Yeah. And I'm very open about it. Um, and I said to them, it's, Plymouth is always a very very good crowd they're nice and lively you'll really enjoy it and they all came back and they were just buzzing from it yeah. um, and so that's how that came about and then that's cool uh, that that was awesome and then literally when five star folded that's when WWE contacted me because they'd watched the uh, the five star stuff and they'd seen me on the Plymouth show and that's sure. why they were keen to use me again when it came back around <laughs> and there we go so, you know so it's I... a big chain it all yeah. together. It's this is something I wasn't aware of um until I know you reposted it on social media recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as a memory is you uh, NXT UK. Now, yeah. Was this the show where Triple H and HBK were there? Am yeah. I thinking the right one? Yeah, okay. So it's, this sticks in my mind because I mm. I saw that being advertised. I wanted to be there. There was probably yeah, no decent reason why I wasn't there. And it was probably mm. the biggest night I could have actually witnessed because yeah. I was an absolute HBK nut when I was growing up. And he was in Yeah, there. so was I. Um, so, but it's all right. Sorry, just to give you a little bit more context on that. So, yeah. um, so I kept it a secret that I was going to be there. They said, you know, like, don't tell anyone. They, you know, like, we don't want to make it a big deal or anything like that. And right. so, like, to, to them, like me being there wasn't a big deal at all. You know, I was just basically, I was in there for a dark match just to see how I did. And, you know, if, if they liked anything, then yeah. maybe I might get a TV match. And so um, I'm there and I'm just in awe of the whole experience. You're there with all these people and you have to, mm. you know, you go to the production office and you meet Triple H and he's a big old dude. And then, the, there was another time where they asked me to get my music because they needed to find some their own stock music and so okay. I run to my bag because I'm eager and I turn a corner and I almost steamroll Shawn Michaels and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you Why know, not? all these amazing memories and I just uh, you know basically they're like you've got you've got four minutes you've got a dark match against Saxon Huxley let's see what you can do basically they'd already seen me on the five star thing but they just wanted to see what I did and sure. see if I choked in a, a WWE ring and so I just remember being backstage and this is one of my favorite memories of my career now. And I'm, I'm just hoping that some of the fans will remember who I am from the local PWA shows. And mm. maybe some might remember me from the five star stuff and they made a little mini Titan Tron for me. So I'm there waiting <laughs> to go. You've got Shawn Michaels and Triple H just to the side of the entrance way with yeah. all their TV cameras because they're directing. So they're shooting to different camera angles. Right. And there's a guy, an usher who basically just tells you when to go. So I don't know what my music is. I don't know if there's a kick in or anything. So I'm just listening to this generic music. And then you can see the back of the screen and it just pops up with my name. And honestly, just for myself, it was the biggest pop I've ever heard. Oh, and I just cool. remember looking to my right and I've got goosebumps at this point because it's like, wow, this is this is special and I just turn and look and Triple H has stood up with his hands on his hips just staring at me like I've done something wrong and so like that that's just like go and so I go and then it gets a second pop and honestly it was just massive adrenaline it was brilliant and I go out to the ring and I, I, I get in the ring and look out and it's you know all these fans are so you know appreciative on there and it's almost like they followed my journey and they feel like they're on a part like they're a part of it so to speak yeah yeah and so I'm in the ring and the, the announcer and the referee are smiling and they're like, you're kind of over here. And I'm like, apparently so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm working through my match with Saxon, which is, you know, as I say, four minutes. It's not yeah. long at all. And so we're, we're halfway through. He's got me in a chin lock and the referee leans in and he says, uh, Hunt is in my earpiece. He says, Eddie's got to go over because I'm just the jobber. I'm supposed <laughs> to be losing to the guy. And right. so I'm like, so now I'm thinking on my feet, thinking I now have to change my match around yeah and so we we get there and we get backstage and as i say triple h is there he's just, he stood there with his hands on his hips and he's just like are you the hometown boy i'm yes sir that's why i'm here and he's just <laughs> no one told me and oh, so right. he, 
So he was explaining that if I had lost, they would have lost the crowd for the whole show. Yeah. And so they didn't want to kill the crowd. And so that's, you know, that was a little, little thing for me. And I got that's loads funny. of positive feedback and, you know, like I did well thinking on my feet and it looked well on me and, and things yeah. like that. And um, they didn't realize I was going to be as popular as I was. And I was like, neither did I. And, <laughs> um, and then the reason, the only reason, and uh, um I find this quite funny too. The only reason that they, they didn't plan to go out at all that night. The only reason they went out is because, and I, this isn't to sound big headed. It's just, yeah. you know, obviously I'm just from there is because all the other guys weren't getting the same reactions as me. And so <laughs> they need, they needed to find someone that would get a bigger pop. And so that's why they went out to re, rejuvenate the crowd. And it was just a complete surprise. And it was just, let's go out and have some fun. It was never planned in or anything like that, but that's, yeah. that's the reason that they went. And I just remember my friends, I told them my friends the story because they were obviously old timey wrestling fans. So yeah. they were from the Attitude Era and before. And so I told them the story and they all had to say thank you to me because if I hadn't have got that reaction, then they wouldn't have seen Shawn Michaels and Triple H. There you go. <laughs> wouldn't have been a wasted so trip but... for them, really, wouldn't it? But I know, I know. That's, but, that's uh, amazing. What a memory. And, and um, I am I right in thinking you got you did get another match under yes. NXT after that? Yeah, I did so well. They were so happy with me and the reaction that I got that they were building, um, they'll be building Fabian Eichner at the time mm -hmm. uh, and Imperium, I think their tag team name is, isn't it? And they were trying to get some traction and they just thought that uh, putting him in there with me and me losing to him would get him some good heat and some good traction. So okay. uh, they they put me in there with him and we got a, a nice seven minute TV match, which, you know, it was, it was nice to be on. And sort of, even if I don't achieve anything more than that, at least I can say that, you know, I, I had a match for WWE on TV on the network. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's still on there. Yeah. Because I, um, mm -hmm. I, I managed to manage to watch it. Um, oh, perfect. Saw a clip of it. So um, was, was there any discussion after that of, of any more? with them has it come across your radar since yeah uh so the most difficult part is that we had the conversation afterwards they were like we're really happy you did a really good job you know like you're a total professional we have absolutely no problems you know they gave me a little bits of feedback here and there to work on which mm -hmm. is you know as i expected yeah. uh and they said you know if anything comes up we will be in touch and it's just one of those things where they they stay in touch you know like i'll drop them a message because at the end of the day they're looking at they're looking at hundreds of people i yeah. i get it you know yeah. they're the the pinnacle they can they can pick and choose from whoever they want to so the squeaky wheel gets the grease so every you know maybe six months or so i'll drop an email into the the, the contact i have and you know that we haven't forgotten about you you know sure. we'll be in touch when there's something so it's uh it's very much just sort of the waiting game um, okay. and so i just sort of try and keep myself ready and try and keep myself fresh so to speak yeah. if, if they ever want to take a look but but yeah it's just it's just one of those things and the, i suppose the most difficult part of it is is if they'd said like you did this absolutely rubbish you're a crap and we don't want to talk yeah. to you again I, i'd be able to sort of accept that but it's when they give you good feedback and then still don't contact you it's, it's kind of like what, what more can i do yeah <laughs> well <clears throat> You never know. The the, yes. the 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 next opportunity may be around the corner when yes. they may well see your match with Charlie Sterling. Maybe Bring it. nice segue into into what you've got coming up. So you're mm -hmm. you're another big big match in Plymouth. Um, I think it's December the fifth. I do believe. Yes. Um, uh, yes. So I won't ask you what's going to happen. You're probably going to have a fairly you know good idea of what you want to happen. Um, mm -hmm. just, just in a nutshell, your history with Charlie Sterling, um, mm -hmm. you know, going into this match, what, how, how do you foresee it you know, being for you? Um, I've known Charlie for a very, very long time, actually. Uh, it's got to at least be a decade now. We've crossed paths. And, and, the, and the good part about, you know, like us Southwest boys is that we're, we've all, you know, like Joel kind of set the benchmark and then people like Charlie uh, and Nicky Riley and myself have always just strived to just try and meet that. And then by doing that, it elevates the level of, you know, of what the Southwest competition looks like, so to speak. So, you know, like it helps. And then obviously the underneath people, we help try and elevate them. That help, that's what helps the scene get better. But in terms of Charlie anyone will tell you this, Charlie is probably one of the most naturally talented people that they have ever met. 
honestly, you can ask Charlie to do something and he can do it. It's almost sickening at how good he really, really is. Um, and that's, you know, quite evident now by the fact that, you know, progress are taking a look at him and he's starting to gain some traction and, mm. and things. And hopefully there's some big things on the horizon. But in mm. terms of what I want to happen in Plymouth is our paths have crossed so much and he may well be so good, but I think his overconfidence might uh, might be his downfall there. And I'll just have to sort of play the wily veteran card, I think, and <laughs> and see if I can uh, wear him down enough. But but yeah, we've we've crossed paths a lot. We've been tag team champions at Chaos. You know, we've, I think we know much like like you know me and Joel, me and Nick, me and Charlie. We've all crossed paths so much. I think we just know each other inside out. So it could just be a pick'em. It could just be. Someone has a good night, someone has a bad night, I think. Well, let's hope that you have the good night. So I am hoping so. <laughs> this is like two years in the making or three years or whatever it is that they say. So yeah. This is no, it's about time we come good. Cool. So I uh, I, I would love to be there. I haven't got a ticket yet. I, I don't cool. know my availability. I would absolutely love to see this one. Um yeah. I got to see you in Tavistock and mm. you had a great match there. And I think Wishing you every success in that match. It would be great to see you come home. Well, you're already home, but come home with the belt, (laughs) you know, absolutely. Lovely, thank you. No worries. Well, I'll um, just just a couple of sort of quick fire questions before we wrap it up. Again, bringing it back to your your fan self now, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going into Survivor Series season this time of year. Mm -hmm. I always absolutely loved it when I was growing up. This was one of my favourite times of the year i actually looked back earlier on um i watched the survivor series from 98 i forgot how good it was you know i, yeah, I, yeah. Down, I downplayed the attitude era a little bit but actually mm-hmm. it was good times survivor yeah. series wise have you got a, a particular favorite or a particular favorite moment um as a fan that you 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 can always go back to i think uh i think especially for people of our generation, so to speak. I think Montreal, you know, Survivor Series 97 will always be uh, a big one. I mm. Part of me still thinks that that's a big work. Everyone sort yeah. of came out of that good, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. Brett came out looking like the ultimate babyface, Sean the ultimate villain, mm. Vince the ultimate villain. It's just yeah. everyone came out of that okay. And I'm just thinking maybe, the, you know, like while WWE now might not be as clever as it once was, mm. I think that's definitely something that Vince could have orchestrated to work. You know, I think at that time, I think it's definitely something, but I think this, this is a weird one. I don't, I can't tell you specifically which survivor series it is. I want to say maybe is it 87 was the first one. Uh, yes. 87. I can't remember whether it's 87 or 88, but it's the random tag team survivor series match, which has like 20 people stood on the apron. Yeah, they did one. That each, one. They did one at each eighty-seven <laughs> and eighty-eight. Um, eighty-eight. That, that was my first match I ever saw because obviously I started really? that event. It's the um, one with the Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation, the Conquistadors. It's yeah. just so many people stood on the apron, and yeah. the match goes on for about an hour, and you can't like if you're a fan, you can't see what's happening. Surely no. everyone's just blocking the ring. Yeah, and that's that is weirdly one of my favorite matches, not because it's anything particularly good but because of how completely stupid the whole thing is. Yeah. If it's the 88 <laughs> one, that is still one of my favourite matches because it's one of my first ones. But I there think that's go. why they didn't do it again. I did hear yeah. one. I can't think... I spoke to I spoke to Scott Casey earlier this year. He was at that yeah. event, but I don't think it was that he, that he referenced. But somebody did reference the fact that they couldn't do anything against the ropes because yeah. no. there's a guy there all the time. So yeah. it really limited what he could do. I, still, yeah. it was entertaining. Well, like from if you watch it from like a, a cassette tape sort of point of view, it's really good. But I just remember <laughs> as I got older and I just put myself in the shoes of someone who yeah. bought a ticket and I'm just thinking all four sides are covered. You can't <laughs> see anything. No, you get so to see like the last five for? minutes. Yeah. Probably the last five <laughs> just, minutes you actually get an idea. But, but ah. yeah, that's one of my sort of guilty pleasures, you know. That's like cool. I, I I enjoy that I enjoy that match just for its complete stupidity. But like I enjoy Survivor <laughs> Series. If you were to ask me to pick, and it's one of those things, I think my favorite sort of 
gimmicky top five thing because obviously you had King of the Rings, Survivor Series, yeah. Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble's my favorite. Everyone loves a good Rumble, yeah, I think. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Survivor Series has got its good moments and and things like that. Montreal will always stand out. But yeah, it's just just randomly that that weird tag team That's Survivor cool. Series match. I like that. <laughs> I, I now I can totally relate to that. Yeah, and yeah. I just finally the, the question that I it's become my favorite. So um, for anyone who's seen any of these recently, you know what's coming. Um, right. Your wrestling Mount Rushmore. Who will oh. be on it? It's a great one to throw on the spot. I do apologise. That's all right. Do at the end, but... Well, I can I can give you the, the the top two straight away, and that's Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Sure. Um, just because, as I say, I grew up with Bret, and I think as as good as Shawn was in the second part of his career when he sort of went away and got better and came back again, mm. my favourite. Well, both both of them really. Both of my favorite incarnations of both of those people are '97. So '97 okay. Bret Hart when he's the heel. Mm-hmm. I think his heel work there. I love Babyface Bret Hart. I thought he was mm. fantastic. I patterned some of my work after him because of his selling. He was a fantastic seller and he it told was. great stories. Yeah. Uh, but '97 Bret when he was bitter and angry, when he turned with Steve Austin in '96, mm. and then had that run of hating America. Yeah. yeah. I think that might actually be some of his best work. Not from an in-ring point of view necessarily, but from from a character standpoint, I think mm. that, that Bitter Brett was very, very good. Um, but also, 97 Shawn Michaels, when he was so arrogant because he knew how good he was, Shawn yeah. Michaels, yeah, when yeah. he was sort of DX Shawn Michaels, yeah. like those two uh, at that time were amazing. And I'll still go back and watch anything from those two in that era because they were just like... Yeah. leagues above everyone else it was unbelievable um i think if i then so i've got two left yeah um a big inspiration for me when i first started trying to get back or not get back and in, get into wrestling uh eddie guerrero um sure. i have his name because of eddie guerrero uh i okay. thought he was incredible I, it was a very sad day when we lost him i he was probably one of at that time like active wrestlers he was by far my most favorite one and again he just had so much heart and passion and you cared about him as a character and his matches were brilliant mm. and it's just everything about him he was just fantastic um and then my fourth one and this i'm going to give to him because of how much he has uh, inspired me at, on a british level because it's very easy just to say you know like i'm just going to fill it up with wwe guys or wcw yeah. Um, like I, I could have very easily picked I don't know there's probably 10 or 12 people I could have gone through the list you know yeah. like when I was a kid I loved Surface Sting we had we didn't have yeah. paid pay TV at home so Channel 4 WCW Worldwide Sting was my my guy um, <laughs> and so but I could easily pick him but yeah. I'm going to go for someone who has massively inspired me on the British level and that's Doug Williams um, oh. he someone who has bridged the gap for our generation yeah. Um you know, like he could have very easily just gone to Japan and forgot all about us, gone to TNA and just yeah. forgot all about us. But he, you know, he went away basically carrying British wrestling on his back um, with yeah. a few others like Jody Fleisch and, and Johnny Storm. There wasn't all that many guys who were flying the flag for us in that time. Yeah. And Doug is one of those people that not only carried the flag, but, you know, he really elevated it. You know, yeah. it, it, if you listen to, you know, like Vince Russo's podcast or Eric Bischoff's podcast um, from when he was in TNA, like, you know, uh, all those people who worked with him in TNA, they talk about how incredibly good he was. Mm. Um, and part of me is a little gutted that uh, he, I wish he could have had his prime now, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like he was in his prime back when you know british wrestling was in the doldrums a little bit and i yeah. would love to see him in his prime against some of these people and again it goes back to one of those things where i said where um oh what was that i said earlier just um just just wish that he could have you know like love to see him now in any like he was great in the era that he was in Mm. but i would love to see him in another era because now he would just be like even better than he was if that makes sense you know with all these you know people now around the scene 
you know, like he would he would just be, you know, like he wouldn't be in this country. He would he would be no. in WWE, and, and yeah. he would have the recognition that he definitely deserves. But yeah. you know, he's someone that I've patterned my style after, and you know, and he's just someone that is, uh, yeah, you know, he's he's done a lot for a lot of us in this country, and I think sometimes that goes unnoticed. But for for me, like when I got into wrestling, uh, the first show I ever watched live was the 2008 Pro Wrestling Noah show in Coventry at the Sky Dome. Okay. And so I didn't really know a great deal about Japanese wrestling. I'd seen some on the wrestling channel, but mm. um, not not much. I'd seen him um, on the FWA stuff or the real quality wrestling stuff that they showed on there. So I, I mm. knew of him, but then watching him in person, he has this like silent charisma that you yeah. just pay attention to and you just, you're just drawn to him. And I just remember that looking at everything that he did, everything he, he looked like a wrestler, he looked like a professional, he everything he did was you know believable. And I just remember yeah. thinking, if I'm gonna make it in this business, I wanna hit that's someone that I wanna look up to and be like. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not the most overly charismatic person in the world, you know. I'm I'm not like a, a, a Shawn Michaels who's over the top and silly. I don't cut amazingly witty promos like the rock or anything like that you know yeah, i i know where i am in terms of wrestling i'm you know i'm very much more um much more stake than sizzle so to speak right, um yeah. and doug was always very much that way he let his wrestling do the talking rather than having to to talk it if, if that makes sense i, I think um, that's the, that's the british way as yeah. far as i can see when i grew up with british wrestling i because i grew up with the American wrestling all the time. What I saw the British mm. wrestling was almost uncomfortable to watch because it was really different. Yeah. Yes. Um, I respect it a lot more now because I yes. think that is the epitome of wrestling. You know, yeah. If you're looking at it as a sport, look no further than what the Brits did. Absolutely. Did, so. Absolutely. But yeah, so uh, that's my Mount, Rush that's cool. Mount Rushmore stake. That's that might change cool. in a week or whatever, but it's Maybe. Brett, it's Sean, my, it's Eddie, my... and it's Doug. There you go. Love it. No, thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time, Eddie. This has been a blast. I'm so glad we got to do it. Um, good luck in Plymouth. Good luck with everything else that you've got coming up. Um, before I let you go, where can people find you? Either any appearances you've got coming up, aside from um, Reach in Plymouth, and where mm -hmm. can they find you on social media if they want to sort of not track you down, but you know, okay. follow you around? Uh, social media, um, Facebook, you can find me as a profile under Eddie Ryan. Uh, go, go, that, go and give that an ad. That's going to have all my appearances on there anyway. Um, Instagram, which is uh, English Lion One, I believe. Um, I haven't looked at my handle for a little while, but I believe it's English Lion One. Um, I don't have Twitter because it's a horrible, toxic place, and I don't ever want to see anything like that ever again. Uh, so that's the only places you can find me on social media in terms of performances i have my calendar actually obviously they got the saint austell show uh for reach coming up i'm not actually at that one uh i'm in stroud for southwest wrestling uh coming up and i believe that is the 14th of november um but let's have a quick look 21st november weirdly actually 21st november csf in trowbridge i am wrestling doug for the csf all nations championship oh, so wow you can catch me there for that one so try and get along to that one if anyone's in that sort of area that'd it's always cool. a good show trowbridge always good crowd you know so hopefully we can get that one packed out that'd be brilliant oh good have you mm -hmm. have you faced doug before or is this uh yeah we've had a handful of matches uh against each other i'd say we've probably wrestled like four or five times okay against each other i've always wanted to do a tag with doug i've always I've, just weirdly i don't know why uh probably because it's kind of like the uh, the teacher and the pupil type thing, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so but um but oh, yeah, no, awesome. we've wrestled a handful of times, but uh uh hopefully uh um, cool. this one will be better now that I'm a bit more seasoned than I was back then and you there know you awesome. uh, and he's had a bit of a rest too because I know his neck was quite bad for a while. Yeah, but you know, as from what I could see in Tavistock, he's still got it. So Oh absolutely you know. that match was incredible. I was a curtain yeah. sat out. I was stood behind the curtain watching <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> I bet everyone was to be fair. I don't yeah, think we anyone was lingering. Two like there's there's no two better wrestlers in this country in terms of wrestling yeah. than those two people. You know, yeah. like Joel is fantastic at that type of thing. And yeah. you know, put him in there with Doug and you've got two masters of their craft just having absolutely. fun, so to speak. That's, yeah. that's what it was. There we go. Anyway, Eddie, I will let you go now. Thank you so, so much, sir. Um, Lovely. I look forward, hopefully, you know, if, if, I, if I'm at a reach show or, you know, if you fancy coming back on at any point, we can delve mm -hmm. into a few rabbit holes. Uh, be be good to speak to you again, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Love, uh, I've enjoyed it. I'd love to be back on sometime down cool. the line.
thank you, bud. My deal. Take care. Lovely. Bye now. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. 